Alright there everyone and welcome back to Hits 21 where me, Rob, me, Andy, and me, Livy, look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to the present day. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us over on Twitter, we're at Hits21UK, that is at Hits21UK. I don't tweet from there much, but if there's ever an update I need to give about the show, I'll normally do it there. Um, you can email us too at hits21podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. Just like our previous episodes, we're going to be looking back at four number one singles from the year 2001. This time, we'll be covering the period between the 3rd of June and the 14th of July of the year 2001. Just casting our minds back to last week, our poll winner was S Club 7's Don't Stop Moving. Um, yes. Well done. Hey. Well done to S Club on that one. Um, if you want your favourite for this week to win, and you don't want it to be unfairly usurped by a song that you deem unworthy, then go <laughs> on to our uh, go onto our Spotify page and find the find this episode in Spotify. And there's a poll underneath it. And if you vote for your favourite, then uh, then it, it might win. Like always, we are going to take you all the way back, not just to the songs of uh, 2001, but to the uh, the news and everything that was happening around the times that these songs were number one. Tony Blair's Labour Party win re-election in the 2001 general election with a landslide 167-seat majority. However, the turnout for the election is just 59.4%, the lowest turnout for almost 100 years. In other news, after an eight-week trial, Barry George is sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of television presenter and journalist Jill Dando. George was found guilty of shooting Miss Dando on the doorstep of her home in London in April 1999. However, he was granted a retrial in 2008 and found not guilty of her murder. Um, to this day, the murder remains unsolved. Meanwhile, uh, two people are stabbed and many more are injured during riots in Bradford. Violence broke out when anti-Nazi League protesters discovered that National Front sympathisers were gathering in a nearby pub. When the police arrived in full riot gear, anger turned towards them. The police were then criticised for failing to control the situation and a full review into the riots revealed the causes to be a complex mix of social deprivation, segregation and failings in official policy and police behaviour. The government announces that a memorial in honour of Diana, Princess of Wales, is to be built in London's Hyde Park. The fountain eventually opened in 2004 and cost a total of £5.2 million, more than £2 million over budget, but closed after two weeks after three visitors slipped and injured themselves. It was reopened in 2005 and is now maintained by the Royal Parks Agency, which pays £250,000 a year to look after the site. This is a mad tangent, but I don't know if ever you, either of you two have ever been to Paris around the area where she had the crash. Um, uh, nearby, but not to the actual area. Well, on, on the when you go through that tunnel and you come out the other side, there is a huge torch there, which is actually... You know how France built the Statue of Liberty? 
and then yeah. sent it over to America as a gift. They made a replica of the torch that the Statue of Liberty holds, and that's always been there for like 60 years, this replica of the Statue of Liberty flame. Mm. And mm. people now assume that that's a Diana memorial, so it's covered in Diana stuff because it's next to the tunnel. Ah. But it's nothing to do with that, but people treat it as though it is a Diana memorial. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows. Pearl Harbor for three weeks, Evolution for one week, Shrek for one week, and Lara Croft Tomb Raider also for one week. I think this is the first time, maybe in the whole show so far, that I've seen all of those movies. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, brief review, Pearl Harbor, shit. Evolution, (laughs) okay. Shrek, Mm. amazing. And Lara Croft Tomb Raider, okay. That's what I think, but yeah. (laughs) Not a Michael Bay fan then, Andy. Oh, God, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange is broadcast on British TV for the very first time. And meanwhile, the first episode of The Office airs on BBC Two, starring Ricky Gervais, Martin Freeman and Lucy Davis. Which was inspired by that one scene in S Club Miami 7, where John goes to work for, what was it, a window company? Whack, whack, oops. <laughs> whack, whack, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in video games, Time Crisis, Project Titan, and Final Fantasy Chronicles are released for the PlayStation 1, while Sonic Adventure 2 is released for the Sega Dreamcast, and Tomb Raider, Curse of the Sword, is released for the Game Boy Color. Ah. Oh. What a period. I had a lot of fun looking that up because, oh, Game Boy Color, that was my life in the oh, uh, yes. late 90s and early 2000s. I still have very vivid memories, actually, of, uh, I think it's, me and Andy, you and, uh, we were discussing this a few weeks ago, it was now 44, wasn't it, that had, like, um, Bon Jovi on it. Um, UK 47. 47. 47, that's it, yes. Very yeah. strong memories of listening to Now 47 on cassette tape in the car waiting for my mum after work um, because me and my dad used to go and pick my mum up because he used to pick me up from school about half three, quarter past three and then we'd go home for a bit and then we'd leave at half four to go and get my mum from where she worked at five o'clock and we used to sit in the car and I used to sit playing uh, Pokemon, one of the Pokemon games on my Game Boy Colour with um, Now 47 blasting away. What a perfect picture that is. How lovely. Yeah. Uh, Andy, how are the album charts looking? They are looking as varied as ever um, this week. It's it's another period of constant, well, almost constant change, uh, but there is one mainstay at the top this week. First of all, for one week, we have Amnesiac by Radiohead taking the top spot. Oh, wow. Um, which mm. I'm personally not a fan of because I'm just not really a oh. fan of Radiohead. Um, but my husband really loves that album and, and is sort of one of the better ones in his view, I believe. Um, what do you think about that, you two? Well, I'm going to wait until you tell us what the next number one album is because I have a larger <laughs> point about both of them. Okay, well, the next one that actually stays at the top for four weeks and is you know very successful, gets four times platinum, is The Invisible Band by Travis. Hmm, yes. Mm. Um, yeah, Lizzie, what what do you make of Amnesiac? Um, I I really like it. I think it's one of their more it's one of their more experimental albums. It's yeah, it's certainly like I think it's aged really well because of that. Mm. And it seems like the sort of darker sibling to Kid A, 
but yeah, I really like it. Well, some people call it Kid B, don't they? As a little bit of a, little bit yeah, of a yeah. joke. Um, Kid B. But yeah. the the thing with Amnesiac, I mean, it is, it's not one of my favourite Radiohead albums, but I think it's just because I like a lot of their albums so much that Amnesiac just has a couple of tracks that you can kind of feel the, the B-side element kind of coming through ever so slightly. And so I still, oh, yeah, re- I still really like it, but it's just not right up at the top. But it being right next to The Invisible Band is... It feels like a bit of a moment in... Alter- especially British alternative rock, where Radiohead hit number one with Amnesiac, and that is clearly, after Kid A, an album that confirms that they will not be returning to their 90s sound. They don't want to do OK Computer or The Bends anymore. And they're happy to kind of just have it as a phase of their creative, uh, creative, you know, period like, um, of their creative careers, and then move on to do other things and how and move into a new era. Whereas a band like Travis comes along and it's like, oh god, I just they, they clearly can't get over OK Computer, and they just want all of their albums to sound exactly like OK Computer, but they can't. And it's such a shame. I was listening to it because, like, I kind of like the man who. It's sort of, it's, I think it's a decent record. I really like mm. Turn, I really like Driftwood. But then you listen to The Invisible Band and it's like, it's an idea of what Travis think they want to sound like. And it, I think there's also a lot, of, a lot of bands around this point that just seem to think like, oh, yeah, we'll just sort of copy Radiohead for a while. Um, see, see, see what they were doing and none of them are as good as Radiohead were at doing what Radiohead did. And The Invisible Band is a pretty pretty high profile example of that i think <laughs> well it's you're in luck then because the next artist is better than radiohead and travis combined Ooh. obviously which is usher <laughs> i'm joking by the way i'm not that controversial uh usher takes number one for one week with 8701 uh, i don't know if i'm maybe pronouncing that wrong maybe it should be pronounced 8701 or whatever any usher fans out there please feel free to correct me apparently the title derives from uh 87 was the year where he first sung in his local church and 01 fact fans is the year that this album was released no flies on on me for figuring that one out uh yeah so 8701 from usher and then we finish this period with a re-entry at number one by survivor by Destiny's Child, which goes back to number one oh. for two weeks, obviously sticking around a little bit there. The first re-entry since January. Um, the first thing that has made a comeback since January, so all credit to them for that. Cool. Lizzie, how are things looking on the other side of the Atlantic this time? Well, as mentioned last week, uh, Janet Jackson's All For You was overtaken on the 2nd of June by a song we're covering on this very episode, which stayed Ooh. at number one for five weeks, and finished at number 24 on the year-end Hot 100. But you'll have to stay tuned to find out what that song is. No points for guessing, but... (laughs) After that, Usher would score his second US number one single with You Remind Me, which finished at number 15 on the year-end list and number 90 on the decade-end list. Meanwhile, in the album's charts, the foul stench of Tool was eventually blown away by the even more foul stench of Stained, whose album Break the Cycle would stay at number one for three weeks, eventually going fucking hell, five times platinum and finishing wow. at number seven on the year-end list and number Ugh. 41 on the decade-end list. Who's buying this? That scene, man, so popular. It's terrible. Crying. Oh. Yeah, the big and kind of... 
connection between like new metal and alternative metal and post grunge. Oh, it's all connecting. <laughs> yeah, and the, the foul stench at the top of the album's charts would sadly continue for one more week with Blink 182's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Boo! Hey, that's the now best I will album. not hear about this. That Have was some a controversial fun. thing to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like them. I'm sorry. I just don't like them. Oh, oh, oh. no, that's oh. a good album. That was fun. Yeah, it certainly yeah, does. I like Blink. I think that's my favourite of theirs. Yeah. Does not You're deserve to, to be it. spoken about in the same breath as Tool and Stained. Wow, that was hard. Well, I like Tool. Uh, Stained, I'm less keen on, but, you know. <laughs> uh, take, take Off Your Pants and Jacket went double platinum and finished at number 62 on the year end list. And rounding us off this week is Devil's Night by Eminem and his friends, otherwise known as D12, which also went double platinum and finished at number 39 on the year-end list. What a period for the album. That was not a vintage trip to the US, that. I mean, thank you, Lizzie, but wow, that was not a good bunch. Apart from Blink, that was not a good bunch. Wow. (laughs) Even them, like, they're bottom of the pile for me. (laughs) Christ. Wow. Ah, well, um, okay, time to get back over this side of the Atlantic and look at our first number one of this week. And it is this. this is Raven and Shaggy with a combination with the Amis. Flip this one for your musical disc. This is Angel by Shaggy and Ravon. Released as the second single from Shaggy's fifth studio album, Hot Shot, Angel is his ninth single overall to be released in the UK. It is the fourth Shaggy single to hit the top of the UK charts after Oh Carolina, Mr. Boombastic, and It Wasn't Me all hit the summit in 1993, 1995, and 2001, respectively. It is, however, his last number one in the UK. Angel oh, no. went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking DJ Pied Piper and the Masters of Ceremonies off the top of the charts in the process. And it stayed at number one for three weeks. It sold 179,000 copies in its first week, beating competition from Sing by Travis, which got to number three, and Electric Avenue Ring Bang Remix by Eddie Grant, which got to number five. 
In its second week, it sold 101,000 copies, a beat competition from We Come One by Faithless, God damn it, which got to number three. <sighs> Here and Now by Steps, which got to number four. Another Day in Paradise by Brandy and Ray J, which got to number five. Romeo by Basement Jacks, which got to number six, God damn it. <sighs> and Close to You by Marty Pello, which got to number nine. Oh, in wow. its third and final week at number one, it sold 76,000 copies and beat competition from All I Want by Mystique, which got to number two, Until the End of Time by Tupac, which got to number four, Have a Nice Day by Stereophonics, and Boo. My Way by Limp Bizkit, Yay. which got to number six. Yes, I'm not keen on Have a Nice Day either. No. When it was knocked off the top <laughs> of the charts, Angel fell one place to number two, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 18 weeks. Lizzie, how are we about uh, Angel? Is is this song a particular angel of yours? Or a darling, perhaps? <laughs> or a demon? Well, <laughs> just, um, just a really brief note. You going through all of Shaggy's number ones, it's funny, like... All of these seem like one-hit wonders, right? Yeah, especially like, I think especially it's, it wasn't me, but also Oh Carolina. That really feels like one as well. That, that it's a gimmick that song, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I don't know. It must have just been like a collective forgetfulness on behalf of the public, where it's like, oh, it's that guy. He's back. I guess we'll I guess I'll buy his single. But mm. yeah, this is. This is all right. It's it's not as good as it wasn't me. I think particularly my problem with this song is Ravon. I really I'm not convinced by Ravon's performance. I just find it so mm. flat and like and you know Shaggy's doing his thing where he's doing his Shaggy thing and he's singing slightly off key, but you know you've come to expect it. But yeah, I think just Ravon's vocal performance in particular is so dry i don't i don't really buy into it at all but on the other hand i do like the production on this i like the um sample what is it oh what's it called now so um, steve Miliband. steve Miliband, yeah, yeah. The, the not not the gambler what's it called the joker yeah. the joker the joker yeah some people call him maurice yeah um yeah, I think they they sort of do enough to carry it along, but it doesn't have the gimmick that it wasn't me does. And I don't know. I'm not. I don't. I don't hate it, but I'm not loving. Not not even loving. Not even liking this one as much as I did. It wasn't me. I don't know about you both. You mean you're not loving it, loving it, loving it? You're loving it like the last song that this knocked off number one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, Andy, how, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, maybe a little bit harsher, actually, um, than Lizzie feels. It's, I felt the same thing when you said Shaggy's had four number ones. I was like, really? Has he? Yeah. And then you went through them and was like, oh, yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, they're not. it's not the most Im- impressive discography I've ever heard in my life, to be honest. Um, I think... With the other three, and particularly it wasn't me, you can be like, oh yeah, I can see the the selling point with this, that 
you know, they're a bit, all of those songs are a bit daft, but you can at least get the fun factor from them. You can at least see why people would enjoy, you know, having a laugh around that song. But this one, not really, because this isn't that sort of quasi-comedy song that Shaggy so often goes for. This is fairly straight down the line. Um, it, there aren't really any bits of gimmickry to this at all. Um, and it's quite generic. I, and I don't know. I, it, it's it's strange how this one was as big a hit as the others. I, I guess it may be just because Shaggy is sort of self-sustaining at this point as um, as a sort of pop cultural product. But I really think this, this doesn't have that much going on in it. Certainly nowhere near as memorable as, um, as It Wasn't Me was. I think at this point you can kind of feel the shaggy bubble bursting, and I think that's because mm. it's a bubble that bursts if you put any pressure on it at all, basically, which is that as soon yeah. as shaggy stops doing the kind of silly, you know, basically comedy routines disguised as music thing, as soon as he does a more kind of straightforward single, it's kind of like, oh, right, well, it's a bit flat, isn't it? Um, and I'm not surprised at this, this last number one, because I think... Although he's not a one-hit wonder, I do think he's a one-trick pony, um, sadly, and he just managed to do it several times. But it's okay. It's all right. I'm not as down on Ravon um, as you were, Lizzie. Um, he's certainly no Rick Rock, but mm. um, it's sort of fine. Like The thing is, the, the lines that Ravon has to sing are not in any way challenging. They're really, really limited in range. Um, there's not an awful lot you can do with those lyrics, to be honest. Uh, but it is quite flat, um, it doesn't have much sort of pizzazz in Ravon's elements of the song. Um, overall, it's just kind of okay. It gets a kind of not quite a thumbs up, but not quite a thumbs down either. I think it certainly doesn't have that goofy quality that I've come to expect from Shaggy. It seems quite sort of out of type for him, really. Um, and it, it sort of feels like him going out with a whimper rather than a bang from the number one spot. But mm. um, it's okay. I've heard much, much worse. Yeah. Mm. Shaggy's a really interesting artist in terms of how much people actually buy into his stuff. Because when people buy into it, they really fucking commit. Like, O Carolina was his debut single, and that went straight to number one in the UK. Um, it charted pretty well in America, Australia, Austria, like, Germany, New Zealand, you know, like, all sorts of places. And then he goes another two years without a song in the UK top 10. And he comes back with In the Summertime, which also featured Ravon. But that gets to number five and was released as a double A side with Boombastic in the US, which got to number three. And Boombastic is another one where it's like, everybody fucking gets on board with it. And it's like mm. number one in the UK. It's number three in the States. It's huge. It's massive. And then after Boombastic, he goes another... Four years. Oh no, sorry, no, another sorry, another another two years before he has another top ten hit again. And it's the only top ten hit off that particular album, which was Midnight Lover. Um, the single was Peace of My Heart. And then he goes another three years without a big single in the UK, but it's another one that it it, it it's with Shaggy, it's like it either doesn't rain or when it rains it pours. You know, he doesn't have singles that were big elsewhere but not here. You know, it's like, you know, we, it, there's no big international hit that nobody picked up on in the UK. It's like, if he's doing well in the UK, he's doing well everywhere. And if he's not doing well in the UK, it's not really selling anywhere. Mm. 
and it's it's mm. really up and down. It does get really really close um, next year. Um, it, it doesn't get to number one in two thousand and two. Um, Mijuli with Ali yeah, G. Yeah, but I mean that is oh, just yeah, yeah. that's the most novelty song that he's yeah, ever done. Because that, that's he leans, way beyond. Yeah. yeah, I think it. This goes some way to explaining, at least in my head, why this song exists. Um, mm. The song itself, very little to say about it. Um, nice interpolation slash sample of the Steve Miller band Joker bass line. Also, the, I think it's the melody from, um, I forget who did it, but it's a song that Chrissy Hines sings on, um, that when, when she's on a cameo in Friends, which is, hey, Just call me angel of the morning, angel. Yes, angel um, of the morning, yeah. Yeah, um, and so, okay, fine. Um, but I think the plan behind this is pretty transparent, which is to release two diametrically opposed songs very close together, see which one sticks more, and then proceed from there. It's like, I imagine if this had done better than It Wasn't Me, it sold, it, it was it was number one for longer, but it didn't sell anywhere near as many copies. And so if this had been the one that really stuck and endured in the way that It Wasn't Me did, we might not have got Mijuli the following year it, wow. this song feels yeah. like a, a test the two songs feel like a test run to be like okay what do people want from Shaggy in the 21st century and it turns out that they the, the, the image that Shaggy brought on It Wasn't Me was the more convincing character to people and so he's leaned into that in uh, instead I think as a song this is more superficial than It Wasn't Me. It wasn't huge on It Wasn't Me, but at least it kept its attempt at a punchline to the end. You know? It it, True. it tried to keep things and withhold things from you a little bit. Lots of separate sections that work well in their own right and inform the greater strength of the collective, whereas I think this it just kind of has the chorus, which is sort of pretty, and I like the harmonies every now and again, the vocal harmonies, but I think you were saying there, Lizzie, something that touched on another note that I've um, written down, which is that this, the relationship between Shaggy and Rick Rock on "It Wasn't Me," that felt like they were a team in a way that yeah, in this, it it, this it just feels like they're just on the same song. Yeah, the, there's I no chemistry between that. them, and I think when Ravon comes in, it's like, oh, yeah, um, this bit, great, and yeah, I don't really, I, I don't dislike it necessarily, but. Up against it wasn't me, which is like a pretty easy comparison because it's, it's his most recent single before this one. It just feels like yeah, a pretty naked and transparent attempt to put something else out there, see how it goes, and then we'll we'll go forward with uh, with yeah. whatever sticks. But yeah, it's fine. I just don't. It, it doesn't inspire much within me, one way or another. I think you're right about that, Rob. That it's maybe purposefully playing it more serious to to sort of see if people will get on board with that it's a, i hadn't really thought of that point and i think that's quite true actually the, the the only hint of goofiness that is in there is that line which i really really hate in the chorus the closer than my peeps you are to me which is just an mm. awful line and like why was that in there if this is supposed to be quite a, a nice ballad it just shows that like He's all over the place as an artist. Like he's really hard to figure out as an artist, yeah. and that is such an awful line to sing in such an earnest way. I mean, this this did do well internationally, but like his next song that did well internationally was probably Me Julie, and that was another year on from this. Everything in between, it doesn't really, 
hit in the same way like it, the yeah, next yeah i was just because they even medulli is more i think an ali g thing i think it is ali g oh, yeah, definitely because yeah. um, it doesn't chart in the u.s medulli um, no of course in not. fact <laughs> shaggy does not have shaggy does not have another top 100 hit in the u in the u.s until 2014 <laughs> wow and it's i need your love that gets to number 66 and that's been it do you think people wow. bought this without even hearing it? It's just like, hey, it's the it wasn't the guy. He's got a new song out. Like that chance. sort of thing does happen. Yeah. That's what that's sort of what I was getting at. That like it doesn't inspire much of a kind of USP in terms of this is the single I should buy this week. I, I I'm kind of mystified as to why people were like, yeah, that song's really good because I could get that with it wasn't me, but with this, it's just really plain, really it's really very plain. plain. Yeah. And I, I just can't see what pushed people into buying this to the point that it got to number one. And it's, like I say, it's far from the worst song or even the most average song that we've had so far. But you'd think that as a follow-up to It Wasn't Me, people would have been disappointed by this when they'd heard it on the radio and they wouldn't have gone out and bought it. And I guess I'm just sort of out of sync with the 2001 mentality in that way. I was just about to say, this maybe had a bit more crossover appeal because... I think possibly maybe Radio yeah. Two wouldn't play. It wasn't me because it's a bit more raunchy, let's say. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's possibly that. But like, because I, I don't want to write this off as saying like people bought this, but then they were con. But because this is number one for four weeks, you know. It's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I just want to say before we finish that the definitive version of uh, The Joker by the Steve Miller Band is not by the Steve Miller Band, it's by Homer Simpson of course. singing <laughs> um, The Joker in his car in The Way We Was in the second season of The Simpsons. So, I agree. Uh, Weep, <laughs> seminal, <whoop>, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> whoop, yeah. uh, right, okay. The next one on our list is this. Where's all my soul, sisters? Let me hear your flow, sisters. Hey, sister, go, sister, soul, sister, flow, Okay, this is Lady Marmalade by Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink. 
released as the lead single from the soundtrack album of Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. Lady Marmalade is the second single by Christina Aguilera to reach number one, and the first number one for each of Lil' Kim, Maya and Pink. It is not the last time we'll be discussing Christina Aguilera or Pink on this podcast. Lady Marmalade is a cover of LaBelle's original hit from 1974. It is not the first cover of the song to reach number one, with All Saints' double-A side single Under the Bridge and Lady Marmalade having already reached the summit in 1998. Lady Marmalade went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking Shaggy and Rayvon off the top of the charts, and it stayed at number one for just one week. It sold 109,000 copies in its only week atop the charts, beating competition from There You'll Be by Faith Hill, which got to number three. And I was a little bit surprised that there was only one new entry in the top ten, so I went and looked for the next highest new entry, and that turned out to be Papercut by Linkin Park, which got to number 14. Um, When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Lady Marmalade fell one place to number two. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 19 weeks. So another good solid stay there for Lady Marmalade. Andy, take the lead on this one. Oh, I will. I love this. I love, love, love this. I mean, I kind of feel like you two won't be surprised that I love this. This is just totally my kind of thing. I think it's one of those songs that sort of any cover of it will always kind of be successful it's just kind of an inherently really fun really juicy song that's just got a lot in it that you can unpack like it's just kind of always good to sing along to really i really want to do this in karaoke um but it's just a really great combination of artists as well um you don't really get things like this anymore the only thing i can think of that's similar is that bang bang into the room thing with jesse J, mm. Nicki minaj and yeah, ariana grande um that was sort of the modern equivalent of this where it's just kind of like let's just get everyone together and do a song and see how it turns out and they actually really play off each other quite well it comes across like a girl band rather than four artists competing for time they all bob in and out at the right sort of places um and I just really, really enjoy this. I mean, th- like I said, the song is just inherently one that I really, really like. But I do think this is my favourite version of it. Um, I think Christina Aguilera goes a l- close to going too far with some of her bits, you know, as she does in every song where she's like, let's break the sound barrier three times per song. Um, but really, I have very, very few complaints about it. It's a song that I listen to all the time, that I sing all the time. I think it is so catchy, it's unreal. Like, it's it's literally made of hooks, this song. There's about 15 different hooks in it. And I, I just think it's, it's a perfect combination of song, movie as well, and artist. I just think everything kind of comes together, and I really, really like this. The, the only criticism I have other than Christina really pushing it a little bit. The only other criticism I have is that it's just slightly too long. I think they Mm. kind of run out of stuff to do with it about a minute or two before the end, and there's just lots of reiterations of of the same phrases. Um, I don't think they should do the more, more, more thing twice. I think that was kind of... You didn't need to do that twice, and um, some of the kind of vocal acrobatics they repeat because they kind of run out of things to do um, and that's a bit of a mark against the song but other than that love this this is totally my jam really really like this is probably my favorite song of the year so far yeah mm. nice um i don't like it as much as you andy um i think though bags are fun a lot of personalities and a lot of personality 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Pink gets a little overwhelmed uh, overall by the others, but I think, you know, as a positive, I think, like, it updates the original, gives it a bit of what, like, I don't know, HMV or the Grammy Awards would probably lazily describe as urban energy. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) And I think it's kind of, it's sexy, it has that little hint of burlesque about it, so it's classy and it kind of teases you with the allure and promise of something that you're very much going to enjoy. Moulin Rouge is not a favourite of mine because I'm generally not a Baz Luhrmann guy anyway. Um, Don't mind Moulin Rouge. I think it's one of his better ones, but I don't love it. Um, But I think this captures the mood of that opening scene at the club and like its use in the film is one of its stronger sequences because that kind of deliberately dizzying, psychedelic, smorgasbord, kaleidoscopic... Uh, just uh, oh god Baz Luhrmann's movies just make me feel dizzy um, <laughs> but it, the song kind of matches what he's going for in that in that moment but I think I like you Andy I start to get a little bit annoyed with it towards the end especially with the end credit sequence where they all get their chance to like walk into the song and bow to the audience like I get that they're trying to capture that mood of a theatre everybody getting their chance to say goodbye but it does make the song about 50 to 60 seconds too long and I honestly yeah. just get annoyed with that kind of like like you were saying, Christina Aguilera doing that, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, like, hey, hey, yeah, 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 sort of melismatic vocal acrobatics thing. It just, stop it. Because it, it, great that you could do that. Well done. You can control your voice. I knew that from all of the other stuff you were singing when you were singing words, mm-hmm. not just kind of gesturing at me. Uh, but anyway, um, but... I will give this song credit for making me realise that listening to it retrospectively, that the bridge between British and American pop hadn't quite been built yet. You know, like this still feels like something that's been imported. Something for us quaint Brits to get excited about. This this loud, large, brash, ostentatious cultural event that the Yanks have bestowed yes. upon us. Mm. Um, yeah, and, 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 and yeah. I know that urban would be a lazy description i agree with you on that but i do think you could use the label like exotic for this really and just in terms of how it's marketed to us brits in terms of how it comes across is that it is something very very different you know especially when you directly compare it with the song we've got next it's like that's british pop and then you've got this it really is so so different i agree with you on that completely yeah yeah i think like you know apologies for kind of sounding like i've copped out here but it has an x factor that British pop doesn't quite contain, you know, like, because you watch, like, old episodes of Top of the Pops from the 70s and 80s, and it's like, it's a big deal if an American artist has come over the Atlantic to be on top of the pops. Yeah. Like, you know, they've not just, yeah. they, you know, they've not just made Legs and Co. dance to it. It's like, <laughs> oh, we've got an actual performance from an American, an American superstar. And it's it does feel a little bit that way, even as far on as the 2000s i think like you know the with the advent of digital downloads and social media that gap and obviously with the um, progressions that we've made in air travel that gap does start to get filled in and the lines blur a little bit more but i've been thinking like while we've been doing this show there's part of me that thinks that the pop of 2000 and 2001 seems to have more in common with the 80s than it does with the songs from about 2009 and just the way that everything kind of fits together and the way everything feels and hopefully that theory slash belief like holds water 
as as we go along. But I, I do enjoy that how I, mean, I don't often enjoy when things are overtly American, but this is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, you probably couldn't get a bunch of Brits to do this, could you? And, I don't even think it's I, yeah. well. It, I agree with you on that. It is that, but I also think one of the big points of praise I would give to the song in general is that it's just really unique as a song especially at this point in time even for America I think there are relatively few things on the scene that you could compare this song to as yeah that's kind of similar to this the only things really Santana this kind of sounds like Santana and the other thing that I would compare it to is um Destiny's Child, potentially. It kind yeah. of sounds a bit like something Destiny's Child could do, but other than that, really, it's kind of unique of this era. It's it's sort of something like you really would not expect 2001 to spit out anywhere, I don't think. Hmm. Yes, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, in a way. I think it would have, at the time, I imagine it would have felt exciting, along with Moulin Rouge and, the, you know, the whole brand synergy and oh, who are all these Americans? And oh, what's this they've given us? And that sort of thing. There's, there's a, I imagine there was a fascination with this, a curiosity, if you will. Um, Lizzie, how do you feel about Lady Marmalade? Had a, <laughs> yeah. had a little giggle to myself there, imagining like what four British women would they get on this single? It'd be like <laughs> this Billy Piper. At this moment um, in time. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe Bi- Billy Piper. I'm sure all the Spice uh, Girls would say no. But you could probably get like um, you might get Emma. You might get Emma. Maybe. Do you uh, think Jerry would give this a go? D- yeah, Dido. I think she's maybe a bit Dido. too classy for it. <laughs> um, uh, oh yeah. So or maybe, maybe Charlene Spiteri from Texas you could get on this potentially. She's um, big. At yeah, the time. yeah. True. <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, yeah. How'd you feel though, Lizzie? Um. I have one complaint, but it's it's like, it's not really a complaint. It's more of a, like a what if. Like, what if instead of on this record, instead of Little Kim, you had Missy Elliott? Oh, yeah. She produced Ooh, the record, yes. so she does technically. I am often surprised work that on she wasn't one. actually on this as a vocalist. I, I'm sure well, they would have tried to get her. She's um, on like the you know the little intro and outro bits, but that's it. Yeah. If she had the verse, this would like push this over the the top for me i think but mm. i do i do really agree with both of you like it's good it's it goes on slightly too long i do definitely agree with you andy about the more 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 there's like an alternate version playing in hell where there's like the more and more just goes on and on and on <laughs> it's like the, like the key changes in it, merry christmas everyone by shaking stevens where it just keeps the going and that's... going the version that's playing in hell is More, More, More by Rachel Stevens. That's the one that's playing in <laughs> hell. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- like, Little Kim's verse is it's just all right. It's one of those where we've had... Like, we had um, Never Be The Same Again, where the verse was just like, it's okay, but I think that sort of thing does get better with time when you get, like, you know, Nicki Minaj coming along, where you, they can really, like, give it socks and you know, use it as a chance to properly show off. Um, And I've also got a thought, actually. I wonder if this is the only UK number one to use Creole. You know, Gitchy Gitchy Yaya Dada. That's that's actually US Southern Creole. Oh, I did not know this. That's new new information for me, that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I mean, this, this is on genius. It's like, get your party, woman. Get your party here. Is a rough translation. 
Oh. I never would have known that. I thought it was just kind of Gucci Gucci, like sort of, you know, sort of sexy, sexy kind of lyrics. I didn't realise that that was actually another language. Wow, that's that's me being yeah, extremely Gucci, Gucci, naive. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, completely yeah. caught in my naivety there. Creole lady mama. Like, I did not realise you know, that. Yeah, wow. it does explain itself. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I, d- I don't think there's many other French speaking number ones either. Like, there's. Je t'aime one en fleur. Um, yeah, this this might be like the second number one we have with a French refrain. Like, write in if you know better. Oh, I'm thinking now. There might be some little French bits in some songs mm. somewhere. I'm sure Celine Dion will have thrown in a few, but they won't have Ooh, got to number one. Yeah, really. yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm going to think on that one. Yeah. Leave that with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I do really agree with you. Like, Pink seems a bit overwhelmed in this. I don't think she necessarily needed to be here. And But I don't know if that's... I forgot she was on it. I don't, yeah, so did I. I don't think it's necessarily because of her. I think it's just that Christina Aguilera especially, as you've already mentioned, is, you know, she's someone who excels in that Mariah Carey mould of, like, vocal gymnastics and belting. And, yeah, it it does kind of overwhelm the song a bit, but I think it's a successful cover in that it's kind of replaced the original. If you, like, if you mention the song to me, I'll think of this version rather yeah. than the La Belle original, which is... Yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah. I think that's a fairly successful cover. And here's a song with absolutely no French words in it. Okay, this is The Way to Your Love by Hearsay. Released as the second single from Hearsay's debut album entitled Pop Stars, The Way to Your Love is also Hearsay's second single to be released in the UK and their second single to reach number one after Pure and Simple reached the summit earlier this year. It is their last UK number one, and I think we're going to get into why. The Way to Your Love went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking uh, Lady Marmalade off the top of the charts, and it stayed at number one for one week. It sold 76,000 copies in its only week atop the charts, beating competition from You Remind Me by Usher, which got to number three, 192,000 by Gorillaz, which got to number six, Bloody Hell, and Another Lover by Dane, which got to number nine. Actually not bad. Is that, is that okay? Is yes, that... it's alright. <laughs> when it was knocked off the top of the charts, The Way to Your Love fell four places to number five, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 21 weeks. So, 
I just want to double check this before I uh, before I go into my opinion go on. on the song, um, which is that in the first week of sales, um, pure and simple, right? Yep. Sold 549,000 <laughs> copies. <laughs> and three months later, The Way to Your Love sells 75,000 copies. Well, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my god. I think it's not that people were getting sick of them, it's a number one single. But, um, hmm. Anyway. I've got the, a similar fact on that, Rob. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing. It's the second lowest selling number one of 2001. Wow, considering, like, you know. I, I, is it a Limp Biscuit that was the lowest? I don't know. I don't know, but it's the second. Yeah, I should find that out, but it's it must the be second total. lowest selling. Yeah. yeah. It must mean, uh, yeah, it must mean total sales. Um, well, okay. Um, fair play to them for this because well for parts of it um the intro sounds like a bit ahead of its time i think this sounds like something that endubs or chipmunk would be you know like the, ju- just the very 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 early bars of the song it sounds like something that they would do about nine years from now or tinchy strider you know that the kind of song that a uk rap artist would have done around that time when they wanted to seem sensitive you know like when chipmunk was doing oopsie daisy and Endubs were doing um, the one about the person in their life that died and they wanted a sad song to go with it. And yeah. It, 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 but that's where all the innovations end. Um, it, it, this feels like another one of those carefully constructed part ballads that Pure and Simple was. It makes some nice decisions with its harmonies at various points. It resolves in some unusual places, gets to its cadences via unexpected routes. Um, but other than that, uh, I know it's kind of easy to say with hindsight, um, and I know that they still got to number one, and I know it probably deserves to have more said about it than I'm going to, but like you can sort of feel the star fading, uh, which, which isn't great, considering where things go for hearsay from this point on. As yeah. a group, anyway. As individuals, mm. they all sort of do okay, but as a group, it's uh, basically the end of the road. Andy, what about you? Well, first of all, just to just so I don't leave you hanging on that previous point, the lowest-selling number one single of two thousand and one was "Love Don't Cost a Thing." Actually, yeah, which was oh. just a shade below the weight of your love in sales. Uh, another bit of trivia: the highest-selling song that didn't get number one was "Teenage Dirtbag" by Wheaters. Oh, uh, number nine for the year. Anyway, oh onto this song. I think you can tell how. In- yeah, I know. I think you can tell how enthusiastic I am about this song that I've immediately started talking about other songs. <laughs> um, yeah, this isn't great, is it? It's so, so generic. Oh my lord, is it generic. It's got like this kind of... I don't even want to say cheesy, but just incredibly clean, incredibly like nicey-nice production to it. There is absolutely no kind of element of pushing boundaries at all in either the lyrics or the music um it's very very by the numbers and this is the problem with hearsay like this this is the problem it's the one defining fundamental problem with hearsay it's like okay you've put five pretty decent singers together to make a band what now who are they not who are they as people who are they as a band what's their identity and the answer is we ain't got nothing they have got no identity at all like pure and simple was just sort of it is what it is you know it's a nice sort of debut single fairly catchy 
And then with the follow-up, you need to kind of start developing more, you know. The example I always use is Just Dance to Poker Face, right? Just Dance is, you know, nice new sound. This is a fun artist. I like her. Then you get Poker Face, which is like, whoa, she's really something different, right? That's like the ultimate example, I think. Pure and simple to the way to your love is kind of like, well, we've had nothing and now we've got less than nothing. You know, I don't know <laughs> anything about these this band. Like, if I was to describe, like, the type of music that they do, I genuinely couldn't do it. Like, it's just, like, pop. Like, what is the kind of music the hearsay do? Could we describe it in a phrase? Like, I don't feel like... Could could, I, could either of you do it? Like, describe hearsay's music, like, as a concept to someone? It's, uh, it's like... Other than what you've said about it, like, being sort of, like, nicey-nice. I don't know about you, Lizzie. I was going to say, it's kind of like asking someone to describe, like, a bit of lint that you find in your pocket. Like, <laughs> So he hasn't able to describe the pavement. It's yeah, just, like know, it's just there. It's just a thing. Um, yeah, and it's 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 pretty uninspired to say the very very least. I have no problem with hearsay as people, and I really want to make that point that I'm not at all denigrating them for being boring because I don't think they are boring. They're just normal people, which obviously was the whole point of pop stars. And there's nothing wrong with that. They are five sort of everyday people who all seem pretty nice. Um, they don't seem to have there's a little bit of drama that happened on behind the scenes but it never seemed to be of the level of other kind of bands of their era and there's nothing wrong with being normal like do do they have good voices yes do they deserve success for that yes are they made for show business no absolute no Um, and that's the problem with pop stars that you know would be later corrected by pop idol and the x factor which is that you have to think beyond the end of the show you have to think about them as a sellable product and they're not as a, and they're not a sellable product the actual song is fine it has some really cheesy stuff done to it it's got the worst key change it's so bad yeah it's like a really really awful key change i think the very worst part of it though is that incredibly tacky intro and outro that's like made on a casio that you know anyone oh, at home yeah. can do right now yeah. that bit at the that's, end is so rubbish bad. it's like the song's over and then it has a final flourish and it's like what was the point of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wasted another just, ten just, seconds. Yeah, it's just got nothing to it really, and it's it's not that bad because it's not actively offensive in any way. It's just like, how did this get number one? Like people had so much goodwill for hearsay, like they really wanted to get invested in them, but there's just nothing there. There's no substance, and so they fall off after this point because I think people were genuinely hooked by the first single. Like people were getting behind the hype of hearsay, and then the second time around, it's like, ah. Uh, I'll give you another chance, and now it's like, yeah, fool me, fool me once, fool me twice, you know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Um, I just think they dropped off so quickly because it became so clear they had nothing to offer in terms of interest, really. So, you know, like I say, I have nothing against hearsay, but this song, boy howdy, is it average. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie, what about you? Yeah, totally agree. I think, like, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily the end like end of the road because I will counter it by saying that this was on the album which was released alongside Pure and Simple but then that raises the question why would you release an album with your two singles on it alongside your debut single that's that's really bad like brand management right because yeah. surely you want to keep people on their toes. Like when the next single drops, it's like, oh my god, it's another hearsay single. We've got to go out and buy this. Not, well, we've already got it. So why would I go out and buy it again? 
Yeah, like mm. you, you, that's not even just a like a reality TV thing. Like that's just with any artist, really, isn't it? You wouldn't release the album with the debut single. You just wouldn't do that. Exactly. That's no, that's strange. Some, that's something else they correct, isn't it? On like the X Factor and stuff, where yeah, you yeah. always release always release yeah. albums with the second single. Exactly. Always. And yeah. that's that's what you do with any new artist. Because that not was the thing with TV. the winner's single, wasn't it? Where the X Factor would have the winner's single for the Christmas of the year that the series finished. Yeah. And then it would be like six months before they had another single, and then probably the album would come out in the autumn of the following year exactly trying to think about um leona lewis because she won was it x factor for 2006 yeah and then 2007 and then bleeding love was like midway through 2007 yeah yeah i'm trying to think now i'm just gonna actually i'm just gonna double check yeah they, they all they all followed their pattern but i think you would do that for almost any artist really like you'd use the first single as the trailer and then the second single as the launch of the album, even if they were only a month or two apart. It's just, I, I'm quite yeah. surprised to hear that. I assumed the album was released alongside this single. I'm quite surprised to hear that. Even yeah. with like mm. non-talent show bands, it's so often the case that you, like, I don't know, let's say, for example, Weezer come out and say, hey, we've got a new album coming out soon. Here is one of the songs from it. But the album won't be coming out for another couple of months. That's just yeah, how definitely. you build hype for that kind of thing. Unless you're one of the... Mm you know, the Kendrick Lamars of the world, where you could just drop an album. It's like, there you go. Do what you want with it. Beyonce did that as well, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyonce's done it, I think, a couple of times, right? Surprise release. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I mean, it's not exactly the end of the road. You know, they do get, like, a number four and a number six single after this, so it's like, you know, top ten, well done. But, I mean, I know that, like, after this, they have an appearance on... I forget where it is, but they get booed about a year from this, don't they? Yeah, I think it's the Brit Awards. Get, I think it might be the Brit Awards. Tired yeah. of them. Yeah. I tell you what, though, I'm ashamed to. I say ashamed because it's not a good song. I went and looked it up, and it's not good. I'm ashamed to tell you, I bought the single of Everybody, which was off their second album of the same name. I bought that oh, single, yeah. and I'm like, what was I on? Why did I buy that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can oh, I just before we move on as well? I really must shout out that I'm so so sad that. This knocked off, well, not knocked off, but this prevented 19 2000 by Gorillaz. I know. Because oh. um, the, the Soul Child remix of that song is one of my absolute favourite songs from the whole decade. I'm really gutted we never got to discuss yeah, that. Yeah, that's but a tune. Rules are I rules, agree. it is what it is. Yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. Well, last up on our episode this week is this.
Okay, this is Another Chance by Roger Sanchez. Released as the second single from his debut album, First Contact. Another Chance is Roger Sanchez's third single overall to be released in the UK and his first to reach number one. It is also his last, with only one of three follow-up singles reaching the UK Top 40. Another Chance went straight in at number one as a new entry, knocking Hearsay off the top of the charts, and it stayed at number one for one week. It sold 73,000 copies in its only week atop the charts, beating competition from A Little Respect by Wheatus, which got to number three, Heaven is a Halfpipe by OPM, oh. which got to number four. Oh, oh wow. such an earworm. And, uh, and Hashpipe by Weezer, which just missed out on the number one spot, reaching number 21 in the charts. <laughs> so close, guys. You had to mention so that, So close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it was knocked off the top of the charts, Another Chance fell two places to number three. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 for 15 weeks. So a decent stay, but not... You know, not as strong as some of the ones that we've, um, we've seen this week. I should just explain to the uninitiated, uh, the people that don't know us. Um, Weezer are sort of a big thing in my life. And whenever they appear, um, on the rare occasions where they do actually appear in the top 40, um, I, I might leave them in. <laughs> I might just get them in as a bit of a joke. But, uh, yeah, they were so close, guys. <laughs> Try again next time. Um... Andy, how are we with Another Chance by Roger Sanchez? Yeah, the th- I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Roger Sanchez, like, in terms of we would not see him again um, at the top of the charts, because that was my first thought when this came on. I was like, who? Roger Sanchez? Like, who's that? Um, which I think probably most people would think, because this is one of those songs that, like, everybody knows it but you might not recognize the title or the artist of it it's like probably people don't really yeah. know what this is called if you like it is so ubiquitous like everybody knows this song um but it's it's one of those yeah that people perhaps don't really identify it which is weird considering it got to number one because people did actually go out and buy it but um there's a lot of other kind of songs of this genre that are like that i think toka's miracle is sort of similar in some way um and uh, Lola's theme by the Shapeshifters, I always think people um, never really remember what that's called. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I do really, really like this. It's got a lovely sound to it. Um, some really, really nice chords that kind of want to resolve themselves and just kind of keeps propelling you through the song. Love that kind of Daft Punky style production on the voice. I say Daft Punky style because it is clearly inspired, but you know, if you're going to imitate, then imitate the best. Um, it's it's really it's really really nice and it doesn't overstay its welcome as well, which I sort of expected it to because there isn't that much in terms of content, but they managed to spread it across the three and a half minutes without it ever over saying it's welcome. It flies by, um, really really nice song. Yeah, I I, I would have, would have liked a little bit more in terms of lyrics maybe just to kind of bring out the theme a bit more because it's a nice little key line that they have you know it's, it's a nice sort of idea in terms of that melancholy feeling in terms of that sort of complex set of emotions that you're expressing through the dance genre you know i would have liked a few more lyrics but then i also totally acknowledge that that might have taken away from the simplicity of it it might have taken away from the effect of the song if there had been more lyrics in there so i'm happy to sort of let it off with that um just because i would have liked a little bit more in terms of their content it's it's not perfect for me but that really is 
the only criticism I would make is that I just kind of wanted more of it, to be honest. Um, really, really lovely track. Um, and it's I, I think this is definitely going to re-enter my regular rotation. I was really surprised by how much I liked this when I listened to it. Um, because it's not the kind of thing I would ever go out to listen to, like sit down and listen to, because it just kind of comes on in bars and things. It's not the sort of thing I would look up on Spotify. Um, but I'm going to from now on. Um, yeah, really, really like this. Thanks, Roger, for your contribution to society. I've really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you. Lizzie, how are you on Another Chance? Yeah, I love this so much. Um, like, this is... Um, I'm glad you mentioned Daft Punk. I think I think it's kind of more like earlier Daft Punk, where they would just build yeah. a whole track around one sample and just kind of... Yeah, definitely. Like build it around it and bring it in and take it back out again, and you have these kind of peaks and troughs. I would actually say, Andy, I don't know. Have have you heard the full length version of this? Um, yes, I have. Mm. Um, but that was I can't remember when that was. I think that was when that came on in a bar uh, where I did hear parts of this that I hadn't heard before. That was quite a few years ago. I think when I sat down and listened to it this time, I haven't listened to the full version, but Fair I enough. am aware of its existence. Yeah, yeah, because I think the full length version is incredible. Like obviously the radio edit's great, but it has to cut a lot out of that kind of, you know, how it builds up and then it strips itself back to the point where it more or less is just a sample and then it kicks back in again. And yeah, there is something quite like euphoric and even what like cathartic about it i think um as a kid as well i can't remember when he mentioned this it might have been about um hole again by atomic kitten but i mentioned about how certain songs i remember from this time i i maybe liked at the time but i didn't get like i do as an adult and i think especially because of you can't really talk about this song without talking about the video if i just say a woman in New York wandering around with a big heart. I'm pretty sure you can picture it in your mind. Just that <laughs> yeah. massive red heart of like, I don't know what it is, like papier-mâché or something. But I think this, like the the sound of this song combined with that video spoke to a particular kind of like melancholy that you just don't understand as a kid. Like you understand sadness, but it's like... Sadness because you've only got chalk ices in the freezer and mum says you can't have a 99. <laughs> it's like, it's that kind of, it's not the same thing. And like chronic unfulfillment. Yeah, like, um, yeah. I think also going back to um, Rise Again by Gabrielle, you know how it just kind of yeah. goes around and around in circles because like with a breakup, that's often what your mind does in that you just keep thinking over the same things over and over again and it's difficult to break out of that cycle because after all it's it's all you've ever known and it's kind of a sudden jolt into this new world where you feel kind of alien and like you don't belong and yeah this is like i think the perfect sound for that and i'm i'm really glad this got to number one i love it mm. Yeah, um, that was all, like, really beautifully put, and it captured a lot yeah. of um, kind of what I wanted to say as well. Um, so I'll fill in the gaps of my own thoughts that... I mean, you filled in quite a lot of it, and I'll just fill in the bits that are left. Um, I mean, I don't know I don't know if this is a confession as such. I think this is something to proudly admit, but this was already part of my semi-regular rotation. Mine too. Um, 
So, like, I first had the idea to do a podcast like this about three years ago. And I made loads of playlists and stuff and, like, trying to get everything together. And then, obviously, the pandemic hit. And Lizzie, me and you started um, The Longest Night. And Andy, you Mm -hmm. did Flashback. Um, And so, obviously, we put this on hold for a little while. But this was one of those songs that I kind of rediscovered during the pandemic when I was kind of, you know, locked inside, nothing to do. Um, oh, I know, let's go back through all the number ones of the 21st century and see what they're like. And, yeah, I think this is one that really stood out to me. I I love this. Like, I think it's a smidge repetitive, but if you're going to compare it to things like Fragma or Ruby De Silva or even Chicane or something, you know, those kinds of songs from previous episodes that kind of just do their thing and then pick a moment to fade out. Um, Mm. I think this, this achieves a level of hypnosis and being mesmeric that though the the other songs felt like they were in pursuit of but didn't quite reach this feels more up there with and sort of beyond for me personally things like mojo or groove jet there's this sense of allowing yourself to be lost in it something that's a little bit hallucinatory and psychedelic with it i'd even go sorry can i just interject like yeah yeah because there's something I had in my notes. Like I'd even go slightly further and say it reminds me of like burial. Yeah, I know. I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Where, because the way that it flips that sample. Yeah. That from Toto and and renders it to the point where actual legible words are obscured and smoky and mumbled, where the melody and tone feel like they're prioritised over elocution. Yeah. That it weirdly, I know we talked about them at the beginning, and it's kind of nice to bookend the episode a little bit. But it kind of weirdly reminds me of the way that Tom York approaches Radiohead songs, yeah, where yeah, totally. the words aren't necessarily that important to the initial listening experience. It's something that you go and find later. And I think the way that Sanchez manages to find little details of um, "I Won't Hold You Back." Uh, the the Toto song that he's sampling, the way that he finds them and then fleshes them out into bigger, meatier parts, the the bass harmonies especially, um, makes them throb and makes them feel thicker Mm. in a way that that very pristine mid-80s production on I Won't Hold You Back kind of removes some of the weight from it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a good kind of, it's a big, grand, melancholy ballad, but like, I would not put it on a level with um, Rosanna, for example, of theirs, for like, you know, something that expresses a bit of longing and a bit mm. of a bit of a want, um, if you will. Um, two things before I finish. Um, the time that has passed since this song was number one, so 21 years, is now longer than the time that passed between I Won't Hold You Back being released and then I Won't Hold You Back being sampled for another chance. Um, But the other thing is that this song reminds me of a very specific time and place. Um, Very sorry, Andy, because a lot of my uh, location references would be places that you don't know because (laughs) me and Lizzie grew up in Stockport and you didn't, but... I'll know some of them. I live here now. I'll you know do, some of you them. do. But yeah. sadly, the building that it reminds me of was knocked down before you moved here. Um, oh. It was the 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 ten pin bowling alley on uh, Grand Central <gasps> next to. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah, it reminds me really specifically of that next to like the swimming baths and the old cinema. I mean, that Cineworld was a shithole and it needed to go. And yes, the light it is was. so much better. 
the mm-hmm. light is a, is a lot better and it does more for cinema in Stockport than Cineworld did or UGC ever did um, or anything like that when they were there. But 10 Pin, very specifically, a Friday night in 10 Pin with like friends and playing on the grabber machine and not winning on the grabber machine and leaving the bumpers up and th- then that strange thing about midway through the night where they do cosmic bowling oh yeah and all the the stupid like pfi era carpets where like there's no one color or design on the carpets it just looks like bits of it's like someone's taken scissors to a jackson pollock painting and they've just stuck it about the floor. And then the door to Laser Quest that we weren't allowed in because we weren't 11 years old yet. And, like, and because th- the, the, the vests were too big for anybody under the age of 11 to wear. And, like, and so you just like, oh, I wonder where that door goes. And, like, all the, the, the arcades at the back. And it, it, sort of, like, in the way that the... Um, it's arranged. Uh, Andy, I guess, like, you know, you'll have been to places really similar to this where you yeah, live yeah. but i guess you know recently the place that we've both been is the 10 pin that's now at pars wood in didsbury it, it was basically exactly the same but just more kind of run down and it didn't mm. have tv showing sports everywhere it was more kid focused um and you had the like the shitty little burger bars at the end of the at the end of the room that nobody really went to because there was the mcdonald's at the bottom of grand central that was like a two minute walk away i'm glad you <laughs> mentioned the mcdonald's because i was just about to say this track reminds me of the mcdonald's because there's yeah. something quite desolate and lonely about it particularly like yeah when it's the middle of winter and you're in there at five o'clock but it's pitch black outside yeah, and that's actually what also, funnily enough, um, Burial's Untrue reminds me of. Yes. But it's more McDonald's at 3am. Yeah, That, that totally. kind of reminds me of. I mean, to be fair, there is a song, isn't there, on Untrue, which is just in McDonald's. Um, but and yeah. it, a lot of it is about the... But it does, this song kind of... It, it, I, I can hear it playing in that image in my mind. And... Yeah, I'm just, it's, 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 I'm strangely nostalgic for this. You know, like I was saying last week, I've got a lot of memories that are quite smoky of this era, and they only really crystallise in around sort of like 2004. Um, but this is one of those smoky memories where I can actually see something through it, and it is just that saccharine neon mm. of the 10-pin bowling alley that was decommissioned in 2008 and then knocked down I mean, because the nightclub that was right next to it, Brannigan's and Heaven and Hell, that was empty Oof. for about six years. Yeah. And then it got flattened, and now it's a Holiday Inn and an yep. office. <laughs> and it, they, they've turned, like, Stockport train station into, like, a park and ride. Yeah. But, yeah, that's my story anyway. I'm glad I had a story to bring <laughs> this week, because you two brought some stories <laughs> last week, and I didn't have one. And so I have one now. <laughs> I do actually have one about Grand Central. I got mugged there once. Oh, oh no! Yeah, someone stole oh. my. I think it was a Motorola V5. It was one of those little flip phones, but it wasn't the Razer. Ah. Uh. Oh. But yeah. Well, that's a sad story. But yeah, Grand Central was quite a desolate place for a long time, and I yeah. don't know. It's like, is is there much of it left there, Rob? Or the, is it? the swimming bath is the only thing that's left, and oh, the no. well, it, it, at the very, very bottom, you still got the apprentice centre on the left hand side. Yeah, with those what I like to call the PFI era door handles, oh, where yeah. they form a perfect circle, yep. and they're made entirely of metal. 
Um, and you've got the... It was a pizza hut, and then it was a Chinese all-you-can-eat buffet, and it's been empty for about three years. Oh. Uh, I think that's probably going to get knocked down soon because there are plans for Stockport Town Centre to be developed beyond the bus station um, at the moment. But Yeah. yeah. I think so, the Mac- yeah. the fact- I think the McDonald's on the corner is still there, but the clock hasn't moved in about five years. And the upstairs is now closed. The upstairs oh. is now storage. Yeah, Rob, I think the fact that you had a story this week when you didn't have one last week, and you're now relieved that you do have a story. Uh, you might say that out of all of the darkness and sadness, <laughs> soon comes happiness. Comes a story. I guess you could say. Thought he had another chance. <laughs> And I did. I used my second chance. Yes. And I got the story. Show in. me the way <laughs> to your story. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, okay. So before we go, and um, we've got to do the pie hole and vault inductions. Oh yes. So raise your hand if you would like to put Angel by Shaggy and Rayvon into either the pie hole or the vault. No. No. Nope. No raising hands there. Okay, Lady Marmalade. Yes, please. Slamming that into the vault. Okay, yes, yeah, we got a vault yes. entry this week. Yeah. Um, the Way to Your Love by Hearsay. No. This. I mean, I thought about putting in the pie hole, but it's not that. Bad. I was going to say this mm. narrowly misses out for me just by virtue of the fact that I know there's much worse coming up. And Another Chance by Roger Sanchez. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, my yes. hand's going up as well. So it's three vault inductions this week. I think that's the first time this year that we've had a unanimous vault induction with yeah, three yeah. votes. So yeah, hooray to Roger nice. Sanchez. Um, I will tweet him or send him a DM. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Slide into his DM. Send him yes. a big heart and like. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> get him through the door. <laughs> Uh, so that's the end of this week's show uh, next time out we'll be covering the period between the 15th of July to the 7th of September so we'll see you then <laughs> see ya see ya some people call me a space cowboy yeah some people be the gangster of love some people call me Maurice woo woo cause I speak of the Papa Goose of Love. People talk about me, baby. Say I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong, doing you wrong, doing you wrong. But don't you worry, baby, don't worry. Cause I'm right here, right here, right here, right here, right here.